3: Hey guys, it's Candace
4: and Kayla and we are directionally challenged. Oh yeah,
3: we thought we would have it all figured out by the time we were in our 30s. But surprise, we don't. No, we don't. But that's cool. It is it's cool. It's all good. It's okay. It really is okay. Kayla, what have you found yourself doing to feel creative lately?
4: Candice, it's so funny you ask that because I haven't been doing a lot to spark my own creativity lately. And I don't know, sometimes it feels like it's really easy to be inspired and everything around me is inspiring me to create um, and to live. But sometimes it feels like it's not inspiring at all. And right now I'm in one of those times in my life where I'm finding it hard to find inspiration. Do you
3: have any advice for me? Are you in a creative part (laughs) of your life? Can you help me out? I'm trying. I think the problem for me is I see other creatives in my life who have the time to really put all of themselves into a new project or exploring something new. And having younger kids uh, makes it hard to do that. Um, Mm -hmm. I find it difficult to be able to compartmentalize my time. I agree. Um, And by the time I actually have time to myself, it's like, I'm already like stressed because I'm like, okay, I've got three hours to be really creative, which three hours is already a huge gift. But, in the spirit of creativity, putting a time limit on it is a great exercise uh, for your creative muscles, but can also limit you if it's just not your style, I guess. But I actually, a couple weeks ago, a friend of ours, Karina McKenzie, who's a writer who we've had on this podcast before, highly recommend her episode from our season one. She was posting on Instagram about a poet that she really loves and this poet was offering a poetry writing workshop mm. and without thinking, and I don't write any poetry at all. Um, but I love a good writing workshop in class. Kayla, you and I've taken one before right? together, but I immediately just like signed up for it without thinking. And it was just once a month on Saturday afternoons for two hours. And I'm like, okay, I can like be away from my baby for like two hours on a Saturday and just do this For me, and the poet's name, their name is Andrea Gibson. I had not been aware of their work in the past. And hearing them not only teach an incredible workshop, but hearing them perform their poems just moved me to all the different, the pendulum of emotions, Mm. to joy, to just really deep feelings and realizing how important it is to not even just as an artist, but just as a human in this time that feels so sedentary to like create, Mm -hmm. you know, like everything that you're describing and just being like, no, but I'm feeling inspired. But it's just getting to that moment of creating what in in past scenarios, like what has kind of gotten you to being more creative? Is it film? Is it TV? Is it poetry? Is it music? Is it just being alone and quiet?
4: You know, it's funny you mentioned putting a time limit on creativity, because I think that what has worked in the past for me is not having a specific time to create, but when it comes up, being able to do so. And that's something that isn't necessarily conducive for my everyday life now. You're right. As a mom and everyone has, you know, nine to five jobs or whatever it is that, that's holding them back. We're not always able to just create and write and do whatever we want whenever we can. In the past, it's been films. Obviously, as an actor, seeing a performance is so incredibly inspiring. But music, I think, is key. I think it instantly can transform all of us to a different place, to a different mental state to a different place within ourselves and then we're able to create. So I think music for me has been such a key outlet and key element throughout this past year to help cope with what we've all been through.
3: And you're also a great singer. I feel like we don't talk about this enough, but you are. You are. I've heard you sing for auditions and like things that you were mentioning. And you are. I mean, besides being a Broadway star, which we've covered in a past episode, I highly recommend that episode as well. Um, Joseph and the Technicolor Dreamcoat starring Kaylee Yule. Yes. Traveling Broadway star. But, but do you find yourself like singing to Poppy and then that maybe fulfills a part of, you know, your creative spark a little bit? Does that happen ever?
4: You know, I have to be honest. I sing to my little girl, but that is not something that sparks creativity. That's something I do as a form of love for her. Um, But that's not something that sparks creativity in me personally. I think it's more comfort for her because she loves it so much, but.
3: Well, I think by the end of this episode, let's spark some creativity because guys, love we, that. <laughs> we have a great episode today. We are sitting down with Andrea Gibson. Andrea Gibson is an American poet and activist from Maine who has lived in Boulder, Colorado since 1999. Their poetry focuses on gender norms, politics, social reform and the struggles LGBTQ people face in today's society. A four-time Denver Grand Slam champion, Gibson finished fourth at the 2004 National Poetry Slam and third at both the 2006 and 2007 Individual World Poetry Slam. In 2008, Gibson became the first poet ever to win the Women of the World Poetry Slam in Detroit. Some of their books are Lord of the Butterflies, Writing Prompts and Stories, Hey Galaxy, Take Me With You. I'm really excited to talk about poetry today. What about oh, you, Kay? I can't wait, you guys. Without further ado, here is
4: our interview with Andrea Gibson.
3: And we are back with Andrea Gibson. Andrea, I actually took your writing workshop a few weeks ago, and, and I'd originally heard about you. Um, a friend of mine is a poet she's a writer and she would posted about you on instagram and that she was taking a writing workshop and i was like i just had a baby i was like yes i need something creative that is out of my body that is just hearing art being made in the world and i uh took your writing workshop your poetry workshop and loved it so so much so it is a thrill to have you with us today oh
2: thank you so much and you know that's sort of my first venture into teaching poetry I've done a few workshops over the years in colleges and universities and this was a big leap for me you probably could tell that I was shaking most of (laughs) most every week Um, but it was so much fun and I, I gained so much appreciation for the art form of teaching
3: Mm -hmm. We have a very specific way of writing your poetry, which I'm excited for us to talk about later in this episode. But it it really is, I think, about the performative element of, of how you share your art, which I felt very humbled and honored to be able to hear you perform your poems and especially coming off a year like 2020 where live events were canceled you know it was a very insular year specifically I think for artists who are so used to sharing their art with the world did it feel nice to perform your
2: words again oh so much so you know I have so much stage fright that I thought you know there was part of me that thought okay in this year I'll just you know I'll relax a little bit and I didn't realize how much it's medicine to me it's it's so healing and nurturing to be able to tell your story and have people be witness to it. And um, so being able to do things virtually was such a gift. It was the thing that got me through the whole year because I have a chronic illness. So I was r- virtually never leaving my house and to be able to make some sort of uh, community. And I think of spoken word as such a communal art form because it's, you know, you're sharing and, and if it's a live show, you get a lot of response back even during the poem. <laughs> it's sometimes hard to keep your phone Focus because people are hollering at you throughout the poem in encouraging ways. But um, yeah, I it, it was it was so good for me, and it was uh, it was also so good to me to be able to read so many other people's um, poems and have other people share as well.
4: Watching you perform, it, I mean, I don't. It's really hard to even put into words. It's it's transcendent. You take people other places. And what was it like for you the first time you performed? <laughs>
2: oh wow! It was terrifying. So, <laughs> I mean, it still is in many ways terrifying for me. And I often wonder if it if it stopped being terrifying, would I keep doing it? Because I can't explain uh, to people enough how much it frightens me. It's truly one of my biggest fears. Still, you know, preparing to talk to even y'all today is just such. It's so unnatural in in my whole being. But the first time, fortunately, I had gotten my my heart busted, broken, um, fortunately, I say because without that having happened, I don't think that I ever would have dared to get up on the mic for the first time, but I was so devastated. I felt like there was nothing else to lose. And there was something in the middle of that that grief that sort of uh, made it easier to surrender to the process of having a panic attack on stage, which was (laughs) what I did. And I remember my best friend was in the audience and the paper was shaking so loud in my hands that you could not hear my voice over how loudly the paper was shaking. Um, And my heart was pounding out of my chest. And I sat down afterwards and I knew what I wanted to do with the rest of my life. I was just, (laughs) I'd never been through anything that scared me so much in such a beautiful way. And I knew that I would never stop doing it after that first time. But the other thing that I did was decide that I would start memorizing my poems so people wouldn't hear the paper uh, be louder than my voice.
3: For our listeners, could you tell them a little bit? I mean, I feel like the word, poetry means so much. You know, that's not just like you can't really simply explain what a poem is because there's so many different versions of what a poem is or poetry and um, different ways to write a poem. But specifically for spoken word, can you maybe share with our listeners a little bit about what that is
2: for those who don't know? You know, I think it's always changing a little bit, but for um, if you've never seen or heard it before, what it is, it's typically uh, an art form where people write longer form poems. I I would guess usually around three minutes because a lot of the art form took off within the context of Poetry Slam and there was a a three minute limit on poems within that competition. Um, And so that's where a lot of people got their start. And so it's typically a long form um, a memorized poem that's performed in a way that you're trying to be as authentic as possible. For me, I never think even the word performance is a little bit difficult for me because it's just sort of getting up on a microphone and feeling everything that you're saying and you're making eye contact with the people in the audience. So it feels very much like a conversation. It's exciting. It's it's loud. Um, there are lots of, there's a lot of laughter involved. There are a lot of tears. Involved. Um, I read a lot of really sad poems, but my shows are, I think they're very funny. <laughs> um, I read, <laughs> you know, you have to balance it out somehow. Um, And yeah. And, you know, there's been some debate for a long time about the difference between page poetry and spoken word poetry. And I think it's starting to blend a lot more now where um, people who are well-known spoken word artists are getting recognized in new ways within the literary community. And I think the only difference really is that a spoken word artist is really honed in on the art form of speaking a poem out loud. Anybody, you know, a, a poet such as Mary Oliver, um, who is one of my favorite poets in the world, who is, um, she's passed away now, but she uh, wrote these really tender, sweet little soft poem. I, I don't ever want to say little. She's a genius, um, about nature. And um, I would say the only difference is a spoken word artist has sort of mastered the art of knowing how to bring that uh, poem to life out loud. And Maya Angelou said that an unspoken poem is a half-finished poem, which that has been argued. Um, But I love the idea of it, you know, (laughs) you could see how it would be argued by a lot of folks, and I argue with it myself sometimes, but I love the idea of the, the completion of something being actually um, speaking and maybe looking at somebody as you are. Can you take us through your process of creating?
4: I mean, it seems, is it the same process every time or is it different every time? Yeah. The, uh, I, I want to know, I pictured the, the words being so fluid and, and rushing out, or is it more of a methodical process where you sit and think of each individual
2: word? I'd love yeah. to know how the art comes out of you? Sure. Yeah, great question. So I think probably few people would answer this the same way I do, because my process is quite strange. Um, I run around my house uh, making sounds out loud. I know what I want to, I know um, the emotion of the piece. I know the general message. And then I go on a hunt for the sound of the piece. And so I'll be pacing my house for, I mean, it could be a month, but hours in the day of just making all of the sounds that fit the emotions. If anybody ever walks in on me during that process, It's very embarrassing (laughs) because it's so (laughs) so awkward and strange. Um, I mean, I'm just looking, so, you know, when it starts, it's just this sort of uh, emotional sound thing. And then I start to fill in the words afterwards. Um, uh, Yes, words come later, and they often feel like not the most important part of the poem. I've always um, been a bit obsessed with this idea that if um, someone couldn't speak English, If they came to a show and they saw spoken word artists perform, they might have some sense of what is being spoken about just from the energy being uh, conveyed. And I think that's also part of the reason why I still rhyme when all of my entire community abandoned rhyme 15 years ago. I rhyme every single poem and just try to hide it from the listener. It's like something I have to do for myself. I'm, I'm rhyming everything, but I don't want anybody to know. So it's fascinating. And it's it's fun. And it's the time that I feel the most alive, the most connected. It never feels like an individual thing that's happening. It feels like it's opening to, you know, my grandma who's no longer here, um, listening for the rest of the world in lots of ways. I think for most writers, a writing involves a lot of listening. I loved
3: taking your workshop and also your your partner joined, Megan, yeah. as well. And listening to the different writing styles that you each have in your approach to poetry was incredible. But you've even... Uh, written a book that includes prompts on your website, you offer prompts, writing prompts. Uh, We talk a lot about on this podcast, how much, how cathartic just the writing process and putting pen to paper, pencil to paper, and how important even just that five minute free write can be for your being and your soul. And listening to you describe how within a five minute free writing session, you found yourself a lot of the times being the person who would only have one sentence written down. Yeah. And I'm, <laughs> I'm the person that's just jotting and like my my hand does not quit moving. Has this always been a part of your writing
2: process when you began? so first of all the thing that you're talking about which i, I love which i didn't actually know until meg my partner started uh, talking about it but the difference between swoopers and bashers so you are a swooper in your writing where you're just you know almost flying with your with your pen and i'm and once i get to that place where i start fitting words in it it it, it become I could stay for eight or nine hours on just trying to get this one line into that space perfectly. But how I began, um, you know, I was trying to think about this. I, I was writing when I was a child a lot, and um, I was writing because I had a really hard time communicating um, what I was feeling to people, and not that I wasn't trying. I just I had so much anxiety. I would get in situations and just sort of lock up and not be able to speak. I I mean, it was such a big deal for me that I remember, I think I was 18 years old before I was ever even able to call and order a pizza by myself. Um, It just scared me to speak. Um, And so when I started writing, I I felt like, you know, I I could... Uh, just say, I, I, I could finally express myself. I wasn't particularly writing in poems. At an early age, I was writing a lot of stories that would worry my mother. She'd say, mm-hmm. these are too sad. You're not going to be a happy adult mm-hmm. <laughs> She was so worried that they were sad at a young age, but I didn't think they were sad at all. Um, <laughs> and uh, and then after that, I went to college uh, to play basketball. Um, strangely, and while I was there, I got to study writing and study poetry for the first time. But still, all through that experience, I never thought that I would ever be somebody that would be able to get up on a microphone at even a very small open mic and read a poem. And I I wish that I could do that, but I. I never thought I would until the day I did.
4: Hey, guys, we're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back in just a minute.
0: Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com.
4: Moonpig.com
2: This message comes from BOF sponsor eBay. You'll know real when you get it you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms.
1: This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive in June. Olive in June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which
3: Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.
4: It's time to get more in 2024. I know for me, one of my goals is to feel really strong this year. And honestly, so far, so good And we're back. You know, it's interesting having not taken your course and really not taken any college-level writing, poetry class, anything like that. I found when researching this and listening to your art form that I so easily judge my own writing. And I'm wondering within your process, did you ever go through that because I'll find the need to write something down, even just to get it out when there's a lot of emotion. But then instead of letting it flow, I find I read it and start to judge it. Is that something you ever experience or have any advice on that?
2: You know, that is, I, I think that's so common. I think I don't know if I know anybody who doesn't uh, judge their work. And also, you may be a, a perfectionist. My partner is constantly judging her work and um, just wanting to, to be absolutely perfect. I had a unique experience uh, with the particular way that my folks raised me um, where they were always complimenting um, my writing And um, I also painted and drew a lot as a child, but it was this sort of complimenting that Never came with uh, the suggestion that I was better than anybody else, and and that was just a subtle thing that I didn't recognize until uh, adulthood when I realized I had a far different experience with judging my own writing than most people I knew. Um, and I think that I've just never had any interest in it being better than anybody else's, and I've had no, uh, yeah, the comparison thing hasn't happened to me, probably to a harmful degree for example, I'll have typos all through my book. I'll write a poem and I'm like, that's not that great, but I'll put it in the book. One time I put out an album with 2,000, uh, 2000 of the cases printed with the title spelled wrong. So I just don't think it's, <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm on the far, <laughs> far end of, um, yeah, I just don't spend much time there. There are like, and that's just very specific to art. I've certainly like have many places in my life where I can really get very uh, judged with myself. But that one thing, it's amazing how these very subtle things with how we were raised or grew up can impact us. I have a friend who's trying to uh, write a book about the wounds that happen to us as, as children or the particular ways that we were raised and how they impact our relationship to art later on in life. And um, And yeah, if you have one particular place where you're holding yourself back, maybe writing something immediately and then judging it, You might be able to tie that back to some moment. Um, I could tie a lot of mine back to elementary school and things that just happened in the classroom. It's sort of fun to do. Yeah. Yeah,
3: that's fascinating. You write from a very personal place. And as you started writing in adulthood, did you realize that there were a lot of things that you were processing, kind of what you're saying right now from your childhood? I know you've already mentioned that you've struggled with anxiety, you know, from just reading interviews, um, that you've also been open about st- struggling with depression. And then also later on, as you've grown older, identifying as queer and gender queer, and, and discovering your identity along the way, did you find that writing was kind of a guide map for you or a tool, or was it just maybe more of like a parallel thing that was accompanying you on that journey?
2: I think all of it, um, I, I found it uh, very healing and to express around those things, especially things that were asked to be quiet about. Um, we're asked to not speak about anxiety or depression or um, at a young age, I felt certainly I should not be talking about the fact that I'm queer. And then later on, there was a time, even I think it was in my um, early 30s when I was starting to come out as genderqueer, and and that wasn't very welcome at the time either. But also, it was. I don't want to suggest that that was. Uh, bad or even honestly, it wasn't that scary for me at that point, because it was the healing aspect of it just felt like the overwhelming uh, feeling and um, to express and uh, to be witnessed. And then, you know, I don't always think it's an ego thing, but to have people clap. And what that means is I heard you, (laughs) you know, I heard you and thank you for sharing that part of yourself. It definitely uh, changed my world. And I think the biggest thing about writing about um, mental illness has been that, you know, there's the first pain that we all feel. um, Say you're struggling with depression, but then there's the additional weight of feeling like you have to hide it and feeling like you're alone in it. And the story that I was alone in anything has always, always been the story that has been the most painful. It's always been more painful than the other thing. So, If you can get rid of the aloneness and you can by sharing your story and then having... Tons of people talk to you about the fact that they're feeling that too, and um, and that that was when when I started to write those poems, just feeling such a sense of community, recognizing that I wasn't alone, and and that was almost not to say worth it, but they say that community is the thing that is the number one measure for happiness in almost any individual across the world, and so I guess there are some ways that the fact that I've struggled. With anxiety has made me happier uh, because it has thus brought me more community um, in, in speaking about it. So yeah, it's all it's all tricky to know what is the wound and what is the bandage. Sometimes they're both.
3: Mm. For a writing exercise, part of the uh, workshop that you taught, you also read uh, one of your poems. That was essentially a a love letter to the tick that bit you in regards Mm -hmm. to your Lyme disease. Mm -hmm. Have you performed that and had others, speaking of community, has that been a relief to others who are struggling with Lyme, who contact you and say, you know, because that is a disease that is not talked about as much as it should be, which is mind blowing to me Mm -hmm. at this point.
2: Yeah, you know, I have friends in my life, who are chronically ill artists who that is in the forefront of all of their work. Um, and I am so, so grateful for it because it's uh, it's been life-saving to me. And, um, and we don't understand, I think, culturally how much shame individuals tend to feel around illness. So when somebody is speaking up about it, it, it typically takes quite a bit of courage for most people I know. For me, speaking about illness on stage, has been the scariest thing I've thus spoken about, and I would say compared to most of my friends, uh, artist friends with uh, chronic illness, I've spoken about it the least. And one of the reasons mm. for that is, with me, is is it terrifies me. Also, my audiences tend to be so kind and so loving. Um, I've been missing being on tour just to be in spaces full of that type of person, Um, but so compassionate that sometimes I worry if I'm on stage speaking about um, being sick, that they will they will care so much. Their concern for me will impact their capacity to be, you know, just enjoy the show. And that's mine. I have to let go of that. Um, And I have to let people feel what they feel. But Yeah, there are so many intersecting things because I talk about lots of things. I talk about a lot of things that people would assume would be hard. Sexual assault, for example, that doesn't feel terrifying for me to talk about, but illness does. And I think for myself, it's because there are still layers of shame about uh, having an illness that I haven't yet scraped off of myself that I'm still working to. And I hope by the time I get back out on tour again, I have those final layers of, of shame off of me. You, you talked about Mary
4: Oliver being someone who wildly influences mm-hmm. you. Um, did you grow up having inf- being influenced by specific poets, or just artists, or people, or mentors? And then, has it changed? as your art has
2: changed? Yeah, it changes all the time. But I'll be honest and say, I don't think I grew up reading anything. Um, I don't recall having a book in my hand till I was in college. My life growing up was running through the forest. And I was so, I think I got to college very, uh, I I don't know what I knew. (laughs) Not much. (laughs) Not much. Because I had spent my entire childhood playing basketball and running through the woods. But when I did finally first start, um, after I got out of college, because I, you know, I went to a, a conservative Catholic college, which I sent, sent, I have a very good feelings about. And also it was sort of a difficult place to come out, but, um, I don't recall a lot of what I read in college, but after right after that's when I started falling in love with the poets that I, you know, discovered on my own. And Mary Oliver was the first one. I was madly in love with her work. She wrote this poem called The Journey. Um, and I recommend that everybody listen and go find that poem. Um, and at the time I was coming out to my family and um and feeling like I was gonna going to ruin other people's lives if I were to dare to be myself. And that poem was the thing that helped me take the leap into coming out. And then after that, it changed because I fell, uh, I learned more and more about spoken word. I was listening to, I think the first spoken word artist I sort of discovered, honestly, was Ani DeFranco way, way back when Um, I had never heard anybody do that on a record. And then I fell in love with lots of poets. Um, One of the main ones is a woman named Patricia Smith, who is sort of known as the possibly the greatest spoken word artist of all time if you can say that about anybody and she's just a legend and then you know I was saying yesterday um in a a little interview that I was doing and that people asked how I got my style and I said stealing (laughs) because yes Uh, Because you can almost tell, I I can go through by year who I was listening to that year because suddenly I start sounding like somebody else. And it's, you know, it's sweet. It's like one year, I'm yelling every poem and the next year, (laughs) the next year, I'm just laughing through every poem. And then the next year, I'm whispering everything. But Mm. yeah, it's just listening to other people. And then, yeah, they're them finding their way into my heart. And then I'm just speaking (laughs) I Mm. I don't know what does the evolution feel like Uh, my
3: husband's a songwriter and a musician and it's been interesting hearing him talk about the songs that he wrote when he was in his early 20s and then performed you know throughout Mm. his 20s and 30s and how it evolves the way that you perform them like what they mean to you Mm. uh, the feelings that come from before performing them have you noticed that with your own work that something that you would write and perform, you know, 10 years ago, performing them now? Is there an evolution of what that becomes? Or does it bring you right back to 10 years ago?
2: You know, it does, it changes all the time. And I can notice some very distinct differences in the way I write now than the way I used to, but I can still return to a poem that I wrote 15 years ago and and want to read it on stage because something is resonating with me that day. Though almost always, if it's a poem that I wrote 15 years ago, I'll start reading it on stage and discover something. I'll like, oh my God, I can't believe I wrote that. That's so offensive. That's one of the things about putting your work into the world, especially when you're writing about social, just, social justice issues, is that your politics are constantly changing. I'm growing all the time. So um, something I put in a book two years ago might be uh, resonate as so, uh, that's just gonna hurt people, that that's even in a book I wrote two years ago. But the main thing that I've noticed in regards to a change in my writing was when I started, I had this very sort of black and white lens on the world. I was looking at things as people, also as good and bad. I wasn't uh, digging as much uh, for the places where we meet in the complexity behind um, our labeling of, of good and bad. And so that's what I'm most interested in my, uh, to do with my writing these days is, mm-hmm. is find those places where we're intersecting and look for the heart of people and try to find a way um, to uh, encourage both myself and others in my writing um, to reach reach far for connection. And I think I was thinking about this, you know, thinking in the, I I always think everybody is God, all humans are God, but I actually don't even know if I think that. I think whatever connects us all (laughs) is God, those little places where we meet. Um, And so that's what I'm searching for in my writing now, um, as opposed to what I might've been doing a lot of years ago. And that, what I was doing years ago also involved a lot more screaming. So it's nice to (laughs) talk a little bit softer <laughs> these days. That's
4: so incredible especially with the state our world has been in obviously. Um, yeah. and I read that you had set out to write an album of just love poems. Love and with the state of our world and politics the way they were and still are I guess, but um you felt the need to become political for one of the first times and um what was that process like of deciding to do that because I I know that that Did you feel it was that you had no choice? So
2: I had been very political prior to that, but then I got very excited about a project, a record in which everything would be about love. Like I just was thrilled by that idea because I've always preferred to write love poems. I don't have a lot of interest in writing poems about the terrible things happening in our world. It's just they're happening and I. I can't nod. It's just, it it happens and then I just have to. Um, But in regards to joy, my joy definitely comes from writing about love. But what happened at that point was I was in the middle of doing that whole project, so excited about it. And then Trump got elected. And I thought this is not the time to put this out. But it's interesting. And it's really complex because uh, years ago, I was doing a show with a musician named Holly Miranda. And right before I was getting on stage, she was telling me the story about Nina Simone and how uh, she spent several years during the civil rights movement, refusing to sing love songs. And when people would come to shows, they would um, request love songs. And she refused to sing anything that wasn't a song for social justice. And when I heard that, I was so moved by it. I was Mm. so impacted by that, that I left all the love poems off my set that night. And then in the middle of the show, I realized that just by the nature of the fact that I'm writing a love poem about a woman makes the poem political, which is sad. It's heartbreaking Mm. that love would ever be political. And, and then I added in a love poem. So when you're writing about queer love, it's not necessarily, you know, just a love poem. Unfortunately, I long for the day when that is the case. I was touring through Europe and, you know, my friend was talking about how Every poem I read that night was a, a, a queer activist poem. And I thought all I read were love poems. And it was fascinating mm-hmm. that that's how it resonates to mm-hmm. him. And I do mm-hmm. think that that is the stuff that moves people to recognize that this is just, very similar to, you know, we all have these hearts that aren't that different. And, um, and loving people is fairly universal, hopefully.
3: Is it an interesting experience when you perform a poem or you've released a poem and having um, others reach out to you with how they've interpreted it and it was different from the intention that you were with and you were writing it? Is that is that an interesting experience? Have you learned maybe something different about your work that you didn't even see when you were writing it through someone else's lens?
2: Wow, that's a great question. I'm wondering if that's even... Have I had that experience much? One of the things that I do very specifically with my work um, is, and I decided this, uh, years ago was that I never wanted to write anything that was difficult to understand. I grew up in a, a quite poor working class um, rural town. A lot of folks didn't graduate from high school. I have folks in my family um, who still struggled to read. And so the idea of writing anything that people had to work uh, to um, to understand has never sat well with me, even though I can enjoy those poems um, sometimes or on my own. But some of them I'll still read and I'll think, what on earth is this person saying? I have, yeah. no, I have no idea. You know, when you were in high school and you'd be studying this in the language, you're yes. like, everything is thou and thus. And I, I'm like, yeah. I don't know what thou means. <laughs> like, so I probably experienced it a bit less than um, you know what you're asking about than other people because I am... I care so much about, about everybody being able to, or a lot of people being able to to understand it. And so much so that one time I was doing this interview and this guy who was interviewing me, I read a poem and then he said, "But that's not really a poem, is it? It's just you're just saying things." <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, "Maybe that, maybe that's what it is. I'm just saying things." So I don't know if I have that experience much, probably with some individual lines, but the poems, my poems are pretty straightforward or queer forward.
3: (laughs) (laughs) They're also very visual. Yeah, Uh, You can truly, you can visualize like it. it, That's what I, I, I found it really enjoyable. I find it really enjoyable listening to you because it takes you on this like mental visual journey and, Mm Uh, not just an emotional one, uh, for me personally, at least. transcendent. I'm telling you. Do you feel like you need to be, like, do you feel like you have, it's easier to write a love poem when you're sad? I know that's such a general question, but I just, Mm -hmm. I've been just in the idea of like, I guess songwriting or writing in general, I think I find myself always, not that I'm songwriting these days, but even when I go to needing just to write things out, it's usually because I feel Mm -hmm. overwhelmed or I feel sad or I feel heavy and I just need to feel lighter. But as a writer and a creator, do you feel like you can write from any place now? Or Mm -hmm. do you feel like there's like these warm little pockets of like emotional pockets that you create your best work from?
2: Yeah, um, I know a lot of writers who, who tend to write a lot more when they're sad. And I think I do this thing where I scan my body for whatever poem is wanting to be spoken. Um, And I can usually find, I don't know, know—I'll find it somewhere in my elbow or something. But um, and when I scan my body for the poem that wants to be spoken, typically, it's some sort of, it's either Uh, an angry feeling, a sad feeling, or a fearful one that is most desperate to get out. Because I think that my body now identifies the writing of a poem as releasing something that will make me feel lighter afterwards. So I think the first things I maybe tend to to notice would be those heavier feelings that are, they they are louder and wanting to get out. That said, um, I I love writing joyful um, and I do it all the time. And often if I start sad, um, I'll find myself in a more joyful place. And again, I think that goes back to uh, the connecting part where um, when I'm writing, I feel connected to the universe and there then just feel happier for it.
4: So much of your spoken word has beautiful music that is accompanying it. How do you choose that? Is Do you hear a song and then it also inspires you to combine it with something you've just written? What's that process like? Because, you know, that seems to me the next step in the creation.
2: Yeah, so when I when I first started touring It wasn't common for spoken word artists To be touring uh, like rock clubs And what that meant was Every time I did a show They would want a musician on the bill with me And the great thing about that is I started making so many musician friends And then once I made all these musician friends I thought, I don't want to make art by myself Let's make it together and, um, and so that's where I got into the idea of You know, reading poetry with music backing the poem. And it happens a lot of different ways. Uh, Sometimes I'll just, I'll be in a yoga class and hear some instrumental song and and try to start humming it to myself so I can keep humming it to a musician I know somewhere uh, else, you know, and just hum it over the phone to somebody in Portland, Oregon. And then she'll start trying to create it for me. Or um, sometimes it will be a friend who put out an album and um, and then I'll contact them and say, do you still have the instrumental version of this song? And, and that's fun too, to read poems over songs that people uh, recognize, you know, uh, as because the, they're almost humming the chorus in their heads and then it adds something uh, to the poem as well. Especially if it starts out as a happy love poem, but you recognize this song and you know this is a sad song. And then it, it sort of all, it all comes together at the end. But yeah, I do it many different ways. And I grew up playing the saxophone and the piano and I was bad at it. I wish I had kept at it. (laughs) And now I have a piano in my kitchen that I'm just waiting um, to get tuned so I can see if I can start trying to come up with stuff on my own. Oh, wow. I don't know. I think
3: whipping out that saxophone... some live shows in 2021. Can you imagine? Oh my I mean, gosh, that would be amazing. Just pull it out from behind a chair. Yeah. A little musical
2: interlude. Oh my God. I think would be funny. What would be really funny is if I just didn't... If, I, if I, It would be hard for me to do it without laughing, but if I could do it in such a serious way, right, right. during the really dramatic part of the right. desperate, desperate, heartbroken yes. love poem, and then I just pull out... Do y'all know who Kenny G is? If I just... Yes. Oh my God, it's Yes. <laughs> yes. That, is, that is what I'm going to learn how to do. Oh my God. Yeah. If he's
3: not still trapped in Kim Kardashian's weird living room, I don't know if you ever saw that stunt, then yes. Like that would, you know, we could get him on the road too. Oh my God. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back in just a minute. We're back. For any of our listeners who are feeling really inspired and or want to maybe explore a book of poems or a spoken word artist, where could they start?
2: Where would you send them? Oh, so, you know, one of my publishers, Button Poetry, um, they're doing something that. Hardly anybody I like, you know, they're brand new in what they're doing because they they essentially are marketing all their books. They started as a video, uh, <laughs> a, a video up. Uh, What would they even be called? Um, They were just putting up videos all the time online of spoken word artists performing. And before that, spoken word was far less popular than it is now, but now people all over the world um, get to see people reading poems in these really dynamic ways and people from all over the world uh, doing it. So I would go to Button Poetry and I would just start looking up the artists there. There were so many people, I couldn't even begin um, to name names, but if you start there, you'll definitely get a, a, such an education on spoken word, and you immediately will be because they title all of their poems in a way that you know what the poem is about, so you can go looking for a specific topic to hear a poem on, and um, and literally anything will be up there. And but it's most of it is just gorgeous.
3: And for any of our writers that are listening, do you have a favorite prompt? That mm. you like to share, or a piece of wisdom on writing poetry that's been bestowed to you, that you like to
2: pass on. Mm. You know, there's one prompt that i I do often because it changes so much for me, what it uh, what w- it will bring out of me. But, okay, so y'all can do it just quietly with me right now, But think of the part of your body um that you love the most. And for me, uh, that probably typically changes from day to day. And then after that, and you know, what's really sweet is when we're doing this in a a workshop where everyone's in the room, almost always, um, you'll see people cover, you know, cover their paper when they do that. Um, and the next thing is, uh, write down the part of your body that you love the least. Did I started with the most and then to the least and, and People typically are more willing to cover, to be shy about uh, the part of their body they love the most. And then the prompt is to um, write a love letter from one of those parts to the other. And I've heard so many beautiful poems come out of this. Um, this woman once wrote that the part of her body she loved the least was her heavy heart um, because she had struggled with depressions since she was a child. The part of her body that she loved the most were her eyelashes. So her eyelashes uh, wrote her heavy heart, a poem about um, lightness and how the eyelashes found ways to be light. And then if you even flip it back and forth, because they both have so much wisdom to offer the other, you know, Uh, there are beautiful things, gifts that come from a heavy heart. So um, the heart would have a lot to teach the eyelashes as well. So yeah, that's a fun one. And then Meg, um, my partner, Megan Fally, who is just a genius prompt giver, um, she gave me the prompt of uh, writing uh, an acceptance speech. And I wrote an acceptance speech upon setting the world record in Goosebumps. And then she gave me another prompt uh, to write a resignation letter. And I wrote a resignation letter to being my own worst enemy. And those can be really fun because if you're not, you know, a poet, you, you can write these just letter. you know, it's not, you're not writing it in any poetic form. So this is so truly inspiring. I'm Great. I'm
4: I'm ready to put some
2: pen to paper
4: right after Do this interview. <laughs>
3: um, would you be willing to read one of your poems for us? I I heard you read Boomerang Valentine um, in one of your workshop classes, and and so I didn't know
2: if you'd be willing. Yeah, I'm totally willing. So, this is a poem called Boomerang Valentine. And I just want to mention before I read it that it was inspired by a poet activist named Sonia Renee Taylor, who started a movement called The Body is Not an Apology. Um, She's a a dear friend of mine, and she does a lot of uh, educating the world about radical, unapologetic self love. I'm sitting on my friend's couch several months into being intentionally single and celibate for the first time since I was 20 years old. 20 years old when I believe sex had to involve a dude and the word screw. I'm telling my friend about the psychic who said, I'm going to meet the love of my life by the end of January. It's January 10th, and I am so far from ready for Cupid, that naked little shit, to fire anything sharp my way. So far from ready to be the kind of unhinged only love makes me. My friend musters every bit of new age jargon she can fit onto her tongue and says, well, what if you are the love of your life? I think, oh my God, I hope that's not true because I am absolutely not my type. But let's say for a moment I am. Let's say I am my dream girlish, boyish, girlish boy, and I'm standing on my front porch, ringing my own doorbell, waiting for me to answer so I can hand myself a mason jar full of water lilies I have rescued from a millionaire's Monet. Let's say, I am so charmed by the radiance of my own anarchy. I invite myself in for tea, and when I'm not looking, I sneak the steam from the kettle into my pocket so the next time I am missing the coast of Maine, I can gift myself the fog. Let's say. I'm not just running my mouth around an old cliche that says we gotta love ourselves. We don't. I know I could keep getting down on myself until I'm tucked in my grave, looking up in my name, carved in stone, wondering why I never knew I'd been cast to the lead in my own life. When it comes to love, the only thing I'm certain of is you are the best thing that has ever happened to you. Whoever you are, you're a quitter, great. There's plenty worth quitting. A sore loser, who isn't? You got no discipline? Maybe discipline is for bodybuilders and closeted gay monks. Picture a magician, so attached to being perfect, He cuts off his own legs just to pull off the trick. Picture the 738 selfies. I deleted before I took one I was willing to show to the world. Picture me wishing I could have all of those back. My so-called flaws in stacks like baseball cards I know will be worth something someday, like compassion, like tenderness, like my capacity to think myself a catch just because I've never seen a chandelier I didn't want to swing from. On days, I have a hard time keeping warm in my own weather. I imagine what the first flower wanted to say to the first human trying to name half its petals, love me not. No, that is not how anything grows. Of all the violence I have known in my life, I have not known violence like the way I've spoken to myself. And I've seen almost everyone around me hold that same belt to their own back in ambush. Of every way we have decided we are not enough, then looking for someone outside of ourselves to come clean that treason up. If I were to ask myself out of that cycle, I might say, listen, I am still going through my growth spurt. I am still yet to get my worst tattoo. I am still trying to get ready. In my mirror face, I am still learning to look myself dead in the eye. I know Facebook is a lousy mortician, desperately trying to make us all look more alive. I know there are things I haven't survived. I know there are people in this world who have been through hell with me. I don't ever want to take that lightly, but I want the heavy to anchor me brave, to anchor me loving, to anchor me in something that will absolutely hold me to my word. When I tell Cupid, I intend to keep walking out to the tip of his arrow, to bend it back towards myself, to aim for my goodness until the muscle in my chest tears from the stretch of becoming what I came here to be, a lover of whatever got covered up by the airbrush, the truth of me, that beauty of a beast chewing to the leash until I get a mason jar full of water lilies and I've got a kettle full of sea and my whole life, my whole life is a boomerang valentine coming right back at me oh my god
3: yes yes Yes, yes. thank you so much that That was fun you are
4: (laughs) you are just i'm at a loss of words
3: thank you for reading that for us and for our listeners
4: truly you're welcome thank
3: you and it was so wild because for the workshop you performed that for everyone and then watching videos of you perform it again and you're right hearing the crowd interact with you and laugh and kind of you they they're dancing with you they're riding like the waves of your your storytelling with you it's just a beautiful thing and i cannot wait until we are all able to go to live shows again so we can see you perform for real. Where can our listeners uh, follow you on social media if they want to stay up to date for your touring schedule and future workshops.
2: Yeah. Um, so my website, I think, is if anybody even goes to websites anymore, is is andreagibson.org. I don't know. Gosh, do I even know my... Um, I think Facebook and Twitter are Andrea Gibson Poetry, and I think Instagram is Andrew Gibby. Something yes. like that. I might be totally wrong, but it's probably not hard to find. <sighs> <laughs> Thank
4: you for having me. Thank you so much. I'm so moved by what you just did. I'm sorry, excuse me. I'm like trying to find words, but thank (laughs) you for um, joining us today because um, you're really, really inspiring. And I know that word is used often, but I really mean it. So thank you.
2: Thank you so much. Thank you both. It was really wonderful chatting with you. And I really do hope we get to see each other in person at a show. Oh, we're or coming somewhere. for you. Okay, great. Oh, we're Please. Coming for you. <laughs> Please come for me. You don't have a choice. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you so, so much.
4: Okay, well, Candice, I'm having a hard time formulating words because I truly now feel so incredibly inspired. How did you know? How did you know? I mean... After hearing Andrea Gibson read their poem and just rip our hearts out, I am so ready to put pen to paper, to download their books, and to allow them to be a mentor of mine. I'm so
3: moved. How are you feeling? Are you wiping your eyes? I know. I, I, it feels, listening to their work and their poems feels like a breath. Like I can mm. take like a full breath. And I forget how impactful art can be in the sense that it just like makes the world stop for a minute right. and allowing the world to stop for a minute and, and to just be impacted, to just feel it, just l- feel it all. And it's, uh, mu- it's very healing. Music does that, but usually I'm only listening to music when I'm doing something. You know, I'm listening to music while I'm like doing the dishes or cooking dinner or like putting away laundry or driving in my car. So it's not like I'm just sitting there and just taking it in. Whereas specifically, I think that that's what was so impactful for me taking the workshop is obviously Mm. having the opportunity to put pen to paper and, and, you know, work out some creative muscles, but also just the reminder to sit down and let art impact you, you know, Mm. something that I think happens to a lot of people when they just stand there and stare at a painting in a museum, Mm. you know, you have to stand there and physically just like let it affect you. And, and that's what I think is missing right now from being able to go to concerts and being able to sit in a, a room filled with a community of people who are there to experience the same art that you're there to experience. Mm. And, and so hearing them speak during their workshop and then even hearing them perform their poem today, it was that reminder to just like, oh yeah, you have, it's okay to just stop and let an incredible piece of art affect you and just sit in that for a minute. Right. I
4: feel that for the first time in a really long time.
3: And it feels it, it's it's been hard to do. It's been right. hard to do. Mm. And and that's the, I think what I realized from just taking this workshop and it's just a healthy reminder that like sign up for things that I'm, I'm not a poet. I'm not going to mm. write a list of po- a book of poems. You know, it just was just putting on a different experience that I just I that would help kind of open myself up to something new that I hadn't felt in a while you right. know and it was in and it's a really safe way to do that especially with so many classes offered online right now so mm-hmm. we, this is for anything like if, if if poetry is not speaking to you today but you wanted to like learn how to cook like bake a creme brulee or another language or sew something or or learn a history class or paint, you know, Mm. it's, um, I think this is a beautiful time to, to do that. And I know we've had that conversation of like trying on a new hobby, but I'm just saying like, it doesn't even have to become a hobby.
4: Right. You know what I mean? Take the pressure out of it, take the pressure out of it and just do it for the experience. And that ties into what I was asking in our interview with them is taking the judgment out of it, take the judgment out of it. And then just, enjoy the experience of it and learn and grow. Oh, I'm feeling so inspired now. Thank (laughs) you.
3: (laughs) Andrea Gibson, thank you so much for joining us today. We hope that you all enjoyed this episode as much as we enjoyed creating it. Love you all. We'll have an all new episode of Directionally Challenged waiting for you next week. Bye. (laughs) Directionally Challenged is a production of Pineapple Productions. Producer, Melissa DeMonts. Edited by Katrina Henning. Post-production sound by Chris Henry. Music by Joe King. And advertising partnership with Acast.